on this episode of Detroit Dart Talk. Welcome to Detroit Dart Talk. On this episode of Detroit Dart Talk, we have a double-double, band blaster style. Joining us in the studio, we have Adam, Adam, Alex, Alex, and Tim. <laughs> but no Tom. <laughs> but no Tom. Uh, that was nice. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a confusing episode because joining us in the studio today are Adam and Alex from Band Blasters. Um, so we'll get into uh, who and what they are in a little bit. Um, but I know that our Alex, Detroit Dirt Talk Alex, uh, was down in uh, West Lafayette, Indiana uh, for Boiler Dome last weekend. And actually, one of our guests joined him. So, Alex, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about uh, this event you went to? Yeah, so I attended uh, the second day of Boiler Dome, which was their Campus Clash event. The first day, which I did not make it down for, was a PvP tournament. And I believe that the other Alex joining us today was there for the PvP tournament. Um, so, other Alex... Do you want to talk a little bit? Just tell us what, how the PvP tournament was, and then I'll jump into Campus Clash because that was second day. Yeah. Uh, so the the PvP tournament it was my first event. I want to clarify that really quick. Um, and it was beautiful. Uh, the campus was gorgeous. Uh, everybody at the event was really friendly. Uh, you know, and it was just it was a ton of fun. Um. Uh, you know? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. What was it like seeing competitive nerf like for the first time in person? Well, so it's like I've I've seen videos, uh, but to have uh everything all set up uh with people running around and you know uh having the station where people could test their different blasters uh and you know kind of showing off their their super cool gear to each other and just kind of having a lot of fun. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I, I'm already like trying to figure out where the next event is that I can get to. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was a blast. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So I, I did not make it down for that day because I, A, didn't have a team and B, it was like a last minute thing. I, I think I registered on the last day you could have registered after getting some pressure from uh, a friend of the show, Varus Kai, uh, <laughs> pestering me that, Hey, come down, come down, come down. So I did. And then I found out. Alex from Band Blasters was going to be there, and we had this interview scheduled. And I was like, "Well, I have a chance to like hang out with him in person. That would be really cool." So I, you know, got in on the last second to get down there, but could only make it for Sunday, which honestly was kind of the day I, I would have preferred to go, anyways, because it was their campus clash event. Um, this is something like, as far as I know, unique to them. Um, one of their former admins kind of invented the gameplay for their campus. And it's essentially a campus-wide PvP territorial control game that lasts a few hours. Uh, I think each game was supposed to last about three hours. And we ended up only playing one game because uh, rainstorms were coming through and they just decided to call it for safety reasons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And which made it nice to travel back before, you know, the thunderstorms hit. But um, yeah, so they have their campus divided up into territories and uh, each team essentially starts with three territories under their control. And there are two 
unclaimed neutral territories in the middle. And it's set up almost like a tower defense game. So there are lanes that you have to follow. So you go from one territory to another specified territory and forward, and it makes like a big loop through their campus. Um, so the teams then you know kind of divide up into two squads and would rush to try and claim the neutral territories first. And if your team uh, got there, you could tag the moderator who would start a timer. And whichever team basically had that timer going for, I think it was seven minutes, would claim that territory. So if you got pushed off of the moderator from defending them, the other team could tag it and he would start a timer for them. And it was cumulative. So you could come back, re-tag it and pick up where your timer had left off. Um, Once it hit seven minutes for one of the sides, the moderator would then move along the path for whichever team won it towards the opposing team. And then that new territory would be the contested one. Uh, so it kind of oscillated back and forth between a few territories for probably the first half of the game. And then the teams kind of overloaded one side and, you know, each team basically started marching across campus away from each other until they realized what was happening and then sent people back to try and contest those zones. Um, it was really fun. Definitely not a play style I'm used to at this point because I've gotten used to either like small little short round games of PvP or, you know, HVZ, where what you're shooting at doesn't shoot back. <laughs> so um, carrying, you know, enough ammo for an ongoing multi-hour game where the other team has blasters was something that I was like, oh, hey, I'm not used to this. And I went through so much ammo. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly jump in really quick and mention yeah. that Purdue, I mean, they did this it was it was incredible. They were using Google Maps yes. to like mark out the zones, and they were updating the zones like right like regularly on uh, the Discord. I have no idea how they did it. I was I was watching the guy do it, and I'm just like, I didn't know you could even mark out zones in Google Maps like this, and then set colors. And it was it was incredible. They did they did such a good job. Yeah, it was amazing. And Purdue's campus, like other Alex said already. I've never been there. It was gorgeous. Just such a fantastic place to play. Uh, I really hope they hold some big invites in the future because that was it was a lot of fun. And I think everyone should go back next year for Boiler Dome. All the hosts of Detroit Dart Talk need to plan for Boiler Dome 2023. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) Don't pressure us on air, Alex. Oh, no. It's on the record. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, and I'll just say real quick. I do want to give a little quick mini shout out to a few people that were there. Um, besides Alex from Band Blasters, we uh, I got to meet in person a good friend of the show and a past guest, Lightning Eagle. He came out um, uh, all the way to Purdue to play. Uh, and then some of our former or our current friends that we haven't seen in a while, um, Will, Andrew, Kai, some people that are very familiar with the show or that we have played with before were all there. So it was really good to see those people again. Sounds like it was a blast. Yeah, it really was. I uh, Both people I just only chatted with on Discord in real life, you know, and like actually get to talk. And it was it was really cool. Yeah, I was very tempted to go, but we uh, we had a lot going that weekend. Yeah, that's. I think with a little more planning and prep and being able to mark off the weekend, <laughs> it would be a little easier because yeah. it was even difficult for me to get down. Yeah, I definitely will uh, look for. Super that glad you did. Yeah, same. Yeah, it was it was it was great seeing him and like 
you know, in your full like gear. You should have seen it, Adam. Like he was just he was completely strapped with like all sorts of uh, uh, magazines across his chest, and I was able to convince him to carry a camera around and attached one to his uh, uh, his Griffin, and uh, hopefully we'll get the footage together soon, and we'll make like a video yeah. of the thing because you know uh, it was just a ton of fun. Yeah, that's cool. I'll have to witness one someday here in your future. Well, very cool. Um, well, I guess uh, moving on from our recent events section, um, Adam and Alex, you want to kind of tell us uh, a little bit about yourselves and your history and where you came from in the hobby? Yeah, sure. So um, Adam and I have been working together for about seven years. Uh, we both... Uh, well, I no longer work there. I'm freelance now. Uh, but there was there was one day where we were just like, well, I mean, like, what if we just made a super powerful blaster? Uh, Adam has the engineering chops. Uh, you know, he's been uh, doing this for, God, 15, 16 years? What? 15, yeah. 15, yeah. And, um, you know, we knew how to, you know, get the factories and... Uh, I can help with the web development and uh, the you know setup of the site, and so we kind of got started, you know, and we made this blaster uh, that we were super super proud of. Um, like the let's see, it had a replaceable grip. Uh, it hit two hundred feet per second. Uh, I mean, it, it was strifoid, uh, so you, you know you could put any. Uh, strife cage in there uh it was we were we were really happy with it <laughs> and uh unfortunately kickstarter was like eh, this is a weapon oh no yeah, yeah. and i mean it, it kind of makes sense like we were sort of towing the line a little bit with the fps uh like 200 fps uh and you know our video was kind of crazy uh and <laughs> i think that's what it, it, yeah it definitely caught us like on left field. Like we just, it, we didn't expect Kickstarter to do that. Now, is that um, the same video that is on your YouTube page right now? I believe so. That kind of shows um, you like going through the warehouse and shooting at the target and stuff. So that is actually, that's actually like a newer version. Okay. Like the earlier version, I think we were shooting through like a piece of cardboard <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was like, I, I watched that video. It wasn't that crazy for, especially for some stuff that like people do in our hobby. I mean, anybody that's watched a Walcom video knows he can get pretty crazy. Right. Well, but the video we sent to Kickstarter, with that piece of cardboard that I shot at from like feet away. And then we ended up blowing holes right through it. Like it just kind of, it, it looked a little intimidating, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, but so, you know, we pivoted and moved into, uh, 3d printing cages and haven't really looked back you know it's been it's been good uh we still have kind of hopes you know for doing other things um it'd be really cool if we could do uh a kickstarter just for like the shell but i mean nothing's set in stone you know we're we're still trying to figure out uh our place in the market you know and um but so far, it's just it's been great. You know, the people uh, that we get to talk to and, you know, the events and it's been it's been a ton of fun. Fantastic. Uh, sounds like uh, now I, I forgive me if you did mention this. 
did you say all right i jumped through a bunch of things really quick no i probably, <laughs> that's all right um did you say what the company you guys were oh yes uh so because that kind of plays that... into this right yeah so the company that we work together at uh is called top secret toys uh, which is owned by another company called Ray Kemper Invention and Design. And they're, uh, so Ray Kemper Invention and Design doesn't really have a front face internet wise, but it does a huge amount of work, uh, R&D wise in the industry, the toy industry. Um, and it's been around for about 30 years. But if you want to see products that we've worked on that, you know, are front facing launched stuff, not work behind the scenes so much uh top secret toys uh is going to be where you would want to go check out uh our work cool Very cool so you Sorry, kind of... it gets a little complicated no 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 not at all so you guys kind of had a uh a lead into you know playing in an adult hobby with with kids toys to begin with right yeah uh so we sort of i would say we came into it with you know experience with finding factories and you know communicating our needs um and you know getting pricing and costing everything together um you know to bring products to market uh and you know uh we have the web development and the marketing and the engineering <laughs> you know uh yeah so we were we just sort of went for it and uh it's been good cool so um so you guys are at the point where you're basically self-producing you're doing the 3d printed cages and and you have, well, what's your current offering? Uh, so right now we have three cages, the, uh, the Banshee, Banshee cages for the Strife, the MK3, and um, uh, the Spectrum. And uh, we've definitely gotten some feedback, uh, not uh, good feedback, where people have been, you know, complimenting the FPS and those sorts of things. But uh, there are... We're, we're generating a list of cages that we could be producing, you know, to maximize our compatibility. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, the feedback has been consistent <laughs> and good. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, uh, taking, taking all of the advice uh, that we receive from the community and, uh, you know, applying it towards our future plan. And that's awesome. Like, I, I think one of the biggest things we always talk about when there's, you know, something new coming out is if they're listening to what the hobby is, is saying to them, like, you know, when there's, um, I'm trying to think of another good example. Um, you know, like the, um, the magnetic darts, um, mm -hmm. that people were talking about and, um, you know, a good example of where they haven't really listened to us. And this may be production limitations, but like, you know, everybody loves the dart zone or the, uh, you know, the dart zone, uh, bamboo, darts but you can only get them in a mixed pack of full length and half length and everybody you know would love to just buy the half lengths right you know but on the same token there's a lot of things that dart zone does that they're clearly you know playing to our hobby like you know putting in the uh, xt60 connector and the mark three and things like that yeah and i mean it's a it, it's a challenge because you know you've you've got the engineers and stuff at these companies that are paying attention, you know, but it has to be, it has to, is the question becomes, is it going to increase sales? <laughs> right. You know, and then, it, you know, is this cool feature because, you know, they have to pay more to include this and, you know, each, each penny that, you know, they're spending to produce the blaster is going to go 
you know, they, they have to cover the marketing costs and the engineering costs and the development costs and all those things. Um, so it's, it's a, it can be a difficult argument to make. And when companies do it, you know, it's just, uh, it's very encouraging to see. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if, and, uh, if you look a little while back in the hobby, when Orange Modworks announced their, uh, cyber tech line, you know, they were going to go with a smaller length dart because they found that's what was going to give them the best performance. Um, but they got so much feedback about it should be going to what the hobby already has set the standard to that they scrapped everything and went back to scratch. And I'm sure that there was a lot of heartburn there because I'm, I can only imagine how much research and development went into, you know, what they had already developed. You're definitely, you're definitely going to have some, uh, some frustrated engineers and designers. (laughs) Real quick, something you said kind of made me think of a question. That something we had talked about on the side before, um, but I think it would be great for to talk about here, and that's the the idea of like listening to the community um, and getting community feedback. We sometimes in the community forget how small of a bubble we are in like the blaster toy market. And I had asked you a question once about, hey, had you guys considered? 3d printing the blaster instead of injection molding it so do you want to talk a little bit about like why you really wanted to go with injection molding and like kind of your your you guys bigger goals yeah so uh injection molding is always going to be the most expensive part of the product development process um i mean so we really wanted to go with injection molding mainly because just the quality you know the quality is there um, the production time, uh, for 3d printing is just so much higher versus injection molding. Um, you know, we wanted to be able to bring in, uh, really high quality parts and, uh, not that, you know, 3d printing isn't high quality. Uh, it's just, um, oh, man, hard to explain. It's balancing <laughs> quality versus production time. Yeah. Right. I mean, me, I'm the one built all these games. For me, it's just not realistic to 3D print the blind to and everything. Things running and like where I'm happy with it. Because like I mean, even our our band prototype. I mean, if hopefully someday you guys will get to put your hands on it, but I like the feel of it a lot better than any stripe or spectrum I've got my hands on. You know, it's just I have a certain level of a little anal retentive, I guess, but got to be right. So it would literally kill me in time to try to put these things together if I was printing them and assembling them and shipping them. Right. And I mean, you know, all our cages, uh, we're assembling them, you know, in-house and then we're doing FPS tests and making sure that, you know, each cage that goes out, you know, hits the mark, um, you know, like the, the 200 FPS. And uh, with injection molding, you can sort of guarantee that quality with each run. I mean, each part is going to be the same, you know. Um, so it's, uh, it's expensive, uh, and we'd hope to be able to do it. Unfortunately, you know, the Kickstarter wasn't able to get there, but, uh, we're really happy with, you know, the sales that we're seeing with the cages. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to eventually transition into moving into, you know, injection molding stuff and producing, you know, uh, full blaster kits and those sorts of things. That'd be fantastic. Have, uh... Right <laughs> now, I know you said you, um, you know, had had thought about maybe revisiting the shell at some point. Have you considered maybe um, looking at the model that some people in in the hobby are doing, like uh, 
Meeker, where they license the files for a single print or, you know, for a personal use type situation? Well, so we, I like the idea of it. It's just that as soon as we release the files, um, we're, you know what I mean? We're afraid that it's immediately going to get copied. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's you know a concern I mean? yeah, everywhere in the hobby. Very fair concern. Yeah. And, you know, we, we want to be able to continue producing items, you know, and you kind of, you need to have income streams. Uh, in order to do it and injection molding just i mean it's like i said you know just for the shell like just to produce the mold that uh you know the plastic gets shot into for one of these uh, blasters it's it's around 75 to 80k you know like it's uh it's not it's not cheap and it's you know you it, it's uh it's a big risk you know that you kind of take uh, when you're spending that sort of money to produce it um, and the, one of the great things about Kickstarter is that it's like, well, we already have the orders, <laughs> you know, and that's why, that's why, uh, we wanted to go the Kickstarter route. And we probably, if we, you know, produce shells, that's probably the route that we would take just because it's sort of, um, it's like a safety net in a way. Right. Right. Um, but yeah. Sorry, so, I, I I rambled a bit. I no, think. no, that's that's kind of the name of the game in our our show. That's that's totally the format we go at. There are times where we will end up on a tangent and and end up t- you know talking about uh, you know a modded blaster. When we started off talking about an HVZ, we went to it's it's perfectly fine. Um, so you've already we've kind of gone there a little bit at this point, but we we did want to you know find out about uh, you know what your future plans are. You know you already talked a little bit about uh, you know um, you know what you want to do maybe with the shell that you guys designed and and maybe looking at other um, uh, you know other cages uh, to kind of you know round out your um, your offerings. But like uh, what. Uh, where, what else do you guys see yourself doing? I mean, do you think you're going to get into like full wired looms that you could drop in or like, um, you know, other form factor flywheels other than, uh, your, your current design or. Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, you know, one of our focuses is we, we got to, uh, update all the stuff on our site <laughs> and we're waiting for more inventory to arrive. Uh, specifically our flywheels. Um, and once that does, uh, and, and it lands and we're fully satisfied with, you know, the quality of the wheels, cause gosh, cause, uh, once we're satisfied with the quality of the wheels, um, cause you know, we're working with a new manufacturer to help reduce our costs. Uh, we need to make sure that all of the components that we, you know, are selling are meet our meet adam standards really <laughs> you know um because you know he's the guy that's uh assembling the cages and making sure that you know everything is perfect when it ships out um and then we'll probably move into uh selling individual components um but again you know we're still making sure that everything that we ship out is going to be you know perfect um you know for the consumer uh so we're, we're double, triple checking everything because it's like, you know, we want to maintain that level of trust uh, with the community where, you know, if you buy something from band, uh, you know, it'll perform. Um, so we're moving, we're moving a little slow. 
uh, but you know, it's, it's slow and careful. <laughs> um, but in terms of upcoming cages, uh, uh, one of the, one of the things that I'm personally working on right now is, uh, some modified Mayfly, uh, 3d CAD so that, uh, people can take our cages and if they want to, they'd be able to put, you know, uh, any single stage cage into the Mayfly. Uh, we're also working on uh, the Griffin uh, and a couple other uh, couple other cages. I don't want to list them all. No, that's quite fine. Yet because it's it's like I don't I don't know which one we're gonna do first. Uh, it's kind of we're we're still sort of figuring it all out. Um, but uh, you know, if you uh, follow us on social, you know, <laughs> quick plug. Uh, you know, we'll be posting updates and stuff there. So, what is that social media? Uh, so it's band blasters is our Instagram, uh, and our Twitter. Uh, and we have a Facebook page, uh, and the, to be honest, the Facebook page is going to be, it receives updates first. So, I mean, if you want the information as quickly as possible, uh, our Facebook page, uh, is going to be the way to go. And that's also, you know, if you just search for band blasters on Facebook, it'll pop right up. Yeah. I'm old. Uh, yeah. Uh, Adam. Uh, is the one that's making all the posts up there. Like as he's as he's working on projects, he shares, uh, you know, development updates and stuff. And gotcha. it's all super cool, super cool stuff. So that's that's a good place to to see behind the scenes stuff too. Then it sounds like yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, content is also going to be on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, and we're slowly kind of making the transition into you know posting on all social platforms instead of uh just one right now you know so that we you know maximize our audience and stuff but i mean if you want the information right away like definitely definitely the the facebook group is gonna be the way to go cool um you know i did think of something else that i that that like a random thought that had popped in uh and then i i had put a pin in it because alex wanted to talk about something so um kind of back to like the R and D and um, you know, that aspect of it. Like I noticed that you didn't just limit yourselves to the footprint or the form factor of the internals of the, the strife or whatever blaster it was you're working on, even though it, like the shell you designed was very much a strifoid um, to allow yourself to get like the actual performance you were going for. Um, was that like, did when you abandoned doing the entire blaster and went to just the shell, did you ever consider like reworking the design or was it just, all right, let's see if we can make it fit in a strife. And if it does move forward. Uh, that's definitely an Adam. You mean the cage itself that you're talking about? So like in your strife install guide, um, you know, you show how you have to trim out some of the support walls and, and shave off uh, part of that one screw boss and, and that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I got, I've got probably five, six hundred wheels over here. I mean, I tested so many, and um, you know, I was like, all right, well, obviously the bigger diameter get you more speed. Well, then I took the strife, basically just maximized the space in there with the the given you know mounting locations that it has. I was like, well, you know, this is as big as I can go. I can't get anything bigger in there. Uh, and then adapted that into our band blasters prototype. But then when we moved into cages, I was like, oh. You know, crap, I don't 
know what the mounting locations are for a Spectrum or an MK3 or a Raven or any of that stuff out there, so I wasn't sure if our wheels would even fit in those blasters, and luckily, so far, they have, but, um, you know, it's just barely, like, the Spectrum, the screw is, like, literally underneath the wheel almost. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I just had to optimize the space, um, but if I... If I did another blaster from scratch, I probably would just make my own uh, mounting locations and make the wheels even look bigger and to go even faster. But I don't know. I'm at the point where it seems like everyone's pretty happy around 200 because that's kind of the cap at a lot of places. Yeah. And I'm sitting here holding the Spectrum that looks essentially stock, but now hits almost 300 FPS. So oh, I wow. I don't know when to see. Now, but, I want to I want to go back for a second because you talked about all the different prototype wheels that you had sitting right there by you and that shows up in in one of the videos that you have um which very much took me back because you know our show has always well when they were still in in business was always very good friends with uh project fdl um to the point where some of us have stayed um you know at their house uh when we went down there for events and stuff and and i got to see firsthand a lot of uh jesse's prototype and designing when he was working on different wheels and stuff like that and and that that clip when you showed all the different wheels very much took me back to that um and one of them specifically caught my eye because there's very clearly you tried to um uh tinker with like weighting the wheels by putting screws in is that what i saw (laughs) um We've got uh, CNC machines at the office, like three axis, but we don't have a CNC lathe. So those wheels that you saw that had the four screws in them were literally like the first flywheels I made because I was actually machining them in two halves and then screwing them together. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't like a, wasn't trying to get tricky with the weight or anything. It was just literally holding two halves together and they worked fine, but um, they were, they were small and those were kind of. You know, that was where I started, and then I just continued to learn and develop. And I wish I was—I wish it was like a video right now, because I've got just bags and bags and bags of flywheels. It's so well, I, ridiculous. I believe it. Like you know, like I was saying, I, I saw all the different revisions that Jesse was going through. At one point, he was messing with, um, like, uh, putting venting in the wheels. Um, yeah. to, to help cool the brushless motors that are in the FTL. And just all the different renditions he went through was, was very interesting. It was, it was very reminiscent when I saw that little clip. So I, it, yeah. it was specifically curious about the screws because it caught my eye. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you noticed that. Um, yeah, I got to a point where my wife was finally like, all right, dude, you just have to pick pick one because you know I, I had this like piece of paper that i'd write down the fps numbers on and i was changing things by like thousands of an inch and you know it started to like drive myself nuts and i was like all right this is it this is the final one and then the next day i'd be like no i think i'm switching to this one <laughs> she'd be like she'd be like dude just just pick one you know sometimes but, um, at thousands I think, of I think an inch it, it actually it makes a big difference i mean believe it or not yeah the, the difference between 190 fps and 200 fps yeah but, uh, Would you yeah. say that just that iterations was like the most difficult part of like the wheel development? Just just finding that exact perfect amount that fit in the blaster and balanced out the FPS. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, after a while, I I also tried like a million different different styles of concavity. Um, so that got a little crazy too. Um, yeah, like I'm holding one. Of, I'm holding your strife gauge right now. Uh, cause yeah. I haven't gotten around to installing it. Um, and like, I'm looking at it and it is, 
you know, I have a, I literally have a set of daybreak wheels here in another cage that's just laying on my workbench. And it's really cool to compare them because your wheels are actually like shorter. Like they're a little, maybe, maybe not, but it looks like they're a little smaller. At least the concavity is. So it's, it's, you know, cause we're used to the daybreak wheels at this point. They were kind of the king of the castle until you guys came along. And so it's, right. it's, it's cool to see how such a subtle differences in, you know, the curvature of the wheel, what part of the wheel is curved, how big the diameter is. It's, it's just, it's cool to me to see how that, you know, makes such a big difference. So I can definitely yeah. see how much work went into it to get it just right. And then, um, yeah, so the the spacing, like the little tiny gap, in, like if you're looking at a cage and that little tiny gap in between the two wheels, um, I also played a lot with just the changing that outside diameter just ever so slightly. Because, I mean, that, you know, as much as it grabs the head and flings the head through, it's also squeezing the foam through at the same time. So that spacing is also like super critical to it, uh, you know, grabbing the whole dart and, and flinging it out there. I think that's why we're not uh, decapitating head like a couple of the other cages I've seen. I mean, we do eventually, but not on your first shot for sure. Yeah, uh, like I'll, I'll second that as you know. I've, I think I'm, I think I'm the only host who has them so far. But I, I was very happy with the dartware. You know, yeah. for how it, it is higher dartware than you know some other cages, but it's not as much as you would expect for the FPS it's hitting. So I that's that's really cool to hear that like playing with the gap just to make sure that the head would go through but not pop the heads off, you know. It, right. And yeah, I mean, I hit a spot where I was only maybe hitting like 180 FPS, and it was the concavity was different than what you see now, and it was like popping heads off like crazy, and I was like, oh my god, it's like did I reach the limit? Because I mean, my goal was like at the Bandbasters, the, the prototype was shooting cut down, you know, full length darts with the big you know, like waffle darts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, it'd be great if people didn't have to cut down darts. So then I started my quest of like, well, I'll use like the Max Pro half-length darts and let's see if we can get these to 200 because I knew nothing else was. And you know, we finally got there. But that's why I kind of tell people, and even on the website, I'm like, use the, you know, Max Pro darts or the Adventure Force, you know, the darts with the smaller heads on them because I feel like putting the waffle tips through you know, it just puts a lot of strain on it because, you know, you're it's cramming it through there. That's fair. Yeah. But um, no, no one listens, of course, but I just <laughs> I, well, try, I try to tell. And and there was <laughs> there was a point where, you know, like even FDL was saying, oh, yeah, the the the, the thicker headed waffle darts are, you know, those are the bees knees. That's going to give you the best performance. And then we really started to realize, OK, it's giving you a little bit more initial FPS, but you're not getting as, you know, as good at ranges and it, you know, it's, uh, it's causing screws to come loose and, right. you know, I, yeah. as much as some people really like the thick tipped, uh, darts, I really think, you know, you hit it on the head, like, you know, the, the max, uh, pro darts or the, uh, the, um, uh, adventure force half links, you know, where the ones where you have the tapered head, uh, are just better all yeah. around, you know, and and also yeah. then you don't have to worry about switching your darts out in your magazines when you switch from a flywheeler to a springer. Well, I, I think so too, and it seems like that's just the direction it's going. You know, I, I I don't see dart zone going back to a like bigger head, you know. So, um, like for instance, well, kind of a side note, but it's kind of a blessing that the the Kickstarter maybe didn't happen because that cage it would hit two hundred, two ten with 
the waffle tip darts, but these Max Pro darts would only hit 170 in that cage. So oh, wow. Okay. Because that didn't happen, I kept developing cages, and, you know, we got here. But, yeah, I don't see I don't see the big heads really coming back. So I was like, I, I think I might as well design this for the smaller tipped darts. just seemed to make more sense. Absolutely. And, yeah, their range is it's better, and their accuracy is way better. Those larger head darts, too, they, they don't really have as much... Um, cross-platform usefulness, right? So like Springers and AEBs don't really do... Anything with a tight barrel is not going to really do well uh, because of the dart head drag. So, I mean, I would definitely... Yeah. I'm definitely okay with the smaller head darts, too. The smaller, softer yeah. seem to just do better all around. I'm, I'm glad glad to hear it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of wanted to ask you guys, too, because I've been messing around with this dual-stage cage. You know, like, do you think there's a market for it other than the few crazy people that want to go you know, insanely fast for the for the people <laughs> that are still on full lengths um you know i think that we'll still see the wider headed full lengths for a while you know because because yeah. uh dart zone just redesigned their waffle tip for their target uh branding you know for a little while you could get the the green foam with the blue uh almost connects style waffle tip at both walmart and at uh, target well now the blue and green darts are only at walmart and then you have the what are they calling them chili or waffle darts or uh, wa- watermelon darts uh those are the ones yeah. you get to target but they just went through a redesign on those so i think we'll see those for at least a little bit and yeah. uh, outside of like you know in the blaster packaging we really haven't seen the full length of the adventure force pro dart or the max or the dz max dart so I think at least for yeah, a little I, bit, the full length people that haven't that have resisted switching over um, to the superior uh, format, um, in my opinion, uh, there there might be a market there still. I think, um, although as the hobby continues to you know evolve and progress, that'll probably taper off. Um, yeah. So my comment, like as far as a three hundred FPS cage goes i mean there's obviously going to be a market for it because people are going to be like well i have a semi-automatic caliber and you know um right people are just that just tickles their tickles their jellies right yeah so, i mean i don't know how big that market's gonna be though so you know so yes so as i will say um i mean it's a task shoving dual stage into everything you're not gonna be able to feasibly do it to everything right well so i mean pick a platform that's easiest to integrate it and ship the cage and the griffin might be your uh your 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 best opportunity there because it it's already kind of well it definitely has you know a modular cage for a regular uh design and it's it's modular enough that people could okay i want to i want to you know switch out to 300 fps because you know i'm going competitive um and they just unscrew it and pop the XT60 and and switch it out. Right. Yeah. In my opinion, I I don't know if there's a market as much for the dual stage stuff for like the assembled cages, because I feel like the people who want to hit 300 and will do it are the generally the people who you know know how to install flywheels and probably 3D print blasters or know someone who will do it for them. So they're kind right. of the modders. But I definitely think like developing dual stage cages that can do that would be a like a, an avenue to get people to buying the wheels and the motors as components which you guys had kind of mentioned 
Sure. Um, see, and I, I think that might be your, that might be more where it goes to, in my opinion. See, I based on your experience, I would think it would be the other way around, where if people well, are going to yeah. mess around in dual <laughs> stage, they would love to have something that's been fully engineered and, um, you know, already you know tested and assembled and put together. It, it seems like somebody who's doing full that's cages fair. like that, you know, where okay, you know, I I get. Uh, in this kit, I get a, a green cage and a red cage, and I know that the green cage needs to go closer to the magazine, and you know it's already all you know perfectly engineered for him. I think if you're going to do dual stage, that's probably going to get you more interest from the less mechanically inclined. You know, because that's a good point. Because the people right now that are you know experimenting in like getting it up to like you know 300 FPS, those are the guys that are like crazy enough to dip your uh, your boomco darts in super glue. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you don't need to do that. No, 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 no. Please don't. So I mean, from a product marketing standpoint, right? Your your basic cages um, are gonna be the bread and butter, right? I mean, as far yeah. as valuation of IP. You know, I mean, somebody knows the geometry of the cage and the wheels and stuff, but you make the wheels available and the motors available. And in a given geometry, you're going to get basically proven performance, right? And like, that's the sauce, right? Is selling the motors and the wheels and the geometry. So, I mean, if you sold STLs, you know, for a Griffin or anything else, I think producing cages is the perfect way to go. But uh, as far as specialty stuff goes, like, so if you sold a 300 FPS package that you don't really want to bother printing Griffin cages because there's so many Griffin derivatives at this point, um, right? it would be difficult to know which one to print for. But if you wanted to sell right. STLs, you know, because and realistically, I feel like there's going to be more people that are going to purchase cages for Mark threes and Strifes and Spectrums than is going to be, you know, purchase something for a Griffin, but they'll buy the hell out of the motors and wheels. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I was saying. I mean, you guys came on the scene and you basically wiped the floor with everybody else that was doing anything with flywheels with the 200 FPS number, like just proven. I mean, and I, I say that, you know, as a compliment, but I, I do think it's really impressive um, because you delivered the product that can do 200 FPS and everybody knows it. And so twilights and daybreaks and all that stuff, it's, it's like inferior tech now. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of people that their games won't allow you to go 200 FPS. So there's still, those people won't be hurt and they'll still sell their wheels. Um, and I think what, one point I wanted to point out is that a lot of people don't realize is because of the larger diameter of um, our wheels, they won't fit in most of the other cages that are sold out there. So that's it's kind of, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that, like if they have a, you know, a cage from out of darts or something, our wheels will probably most likely will not fit in it. So that was just something I wanted to point out. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, you know, that is a good point because, I mean, people can go to Out of Darts and get a cage and choose from a a dozen different wheels and at least half a dozen different motors, right? And they're all going to probably work. Um, Right. You can mix and match any combination there pretty much. But, like, I have a Daybreak cage in my hand and my wheels do not fit in it. So, I mean, yeah, you could uh, get your Dremel out and make it a little bit bigger, but how many people are really going to do that? Right. But we do want to sell stuff separately. I'm just, you know, we'll probably have to 
put a little note in there on the wheels like don't expect these to fit in what you have right now it's kind of <laughs> why like sell you know us selling the whole setup i mean it's really it, you need one of our cages in order to use the wheels so yeah now so i know ahead, you, Tim, sorry uh, i was just gonna say i know you guys you know talked about injection molding as as maybe the next uh you know level have you have you considered maybe doing cnc machined aluminum cages uh i mean i think we've both thought about it um we just need to look at the cost i guess and i mean really just make sure this continues in the path that it's going right now because um it probably will be a, a big chunk of money to put down to get that to get that going oh, and then i'm sure i don't need to be sitting on a bunch of cnc machined cages over at my house but no, I, I would love to do it personally but it's yeah it'd be something we'd have to think about and look at pricing and all that all the no, fun I, stuff I yeah. will take a second to compliment you on your cage itself because like I said I've got mine here and it's pet G right yeah like, it is okay oh, it awesome. is printed it is printed so well like I need next time we're all together in person Tim and our Adam I need to show you the cage in person because it is top-notch print quality. And I know PETG isn't uh, the no, easiest material to print in. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And that's funny. I mean, it's very kind of you to say that. And uh, when I started printing them, I was using PLA because, you know, that's what a lot of the other people sell. And I was like, man, this looks beautiful. And, you know, I only have one Prusa printer. And I just started 3D printing when I started this. Wow. Um, but so then, you know, I, I was like, oh, well, I want more heat resistance. So I'm going to switch to Pet G. And then I realized, ooh, this is this is a different animal. And um, yeah, so I mean, I just spent a ton of time in the settings and, you know, there's a zillion of them to get it to the point where I was happy with it. So wow. I'm, I'm glad you're happy with it. Yeah, I am. Like, like I know people like the aluminum cages and they, uh, you know, metal cages do some other stuff that printed cages can't. But as you know. I think there's sometimes people feel like a printed cage is a lower quality item inherently. Right. And like, I don't feel like this is a low quality item at all. Like this is fantastically done. Uh, it's rock solid and, and gorgeous. And like, you, like you said, it's a higher temperature resistance. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the motors getting too hot and loosening up in the, in the uh, motor wells. So, you know, it's it definitely would be cool to have like a machine cage, but I don't know if it's really necessary to go that route. <laughs> so, yeah, and I mean, I've go got you know when I was doing the research, I bought like the next cage and stuff, and um, you know, it's like if you get the wheels perfectly balanced in these PETG cages, they're still quiet. You know, they they hum real nice. Um, but that's why I tried to put that video up about how balancing is so important because if those wheels are out of balance. You're spinning at forty five thousand RPMs makes a racket, but it's it's gonna make a racket in anything. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. I think a lot of people I know initially kind of had a had an initial balk at the price of the assembled cages because it's it's a little high, but you know, they also had to take into consideration like you guys are essentially like a little startup. You're taking on a lot of costs yourselves. Like it, you can't necessarily produce the rock solid like rock bottom cheapest price right off the bat. But there's more to it than just the parts, the components. Like, you know, there's it's it's greater than the sum of its parts because of the work you put in to balance it. And when you get one in hand and you look at it, you're like, oh, oh, I don't know if I've ever gotten my flywheels quite that level. Like you, the assembly process you do for the assembled cages, I feel like really does make a big difference. So 
you know, that's, yeah. that's awesome. So like it is, it, it, it definitely has a, has its value. Like it, it is, it is worth what you pay for it. And well, it, I, I, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, I, uh, you know, I've got like, I, I made my own tools to put the wheels in, but then, you know, I'm sure you guys have noticed that sometimes the motor shafts will move a little bit. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll bench, I'll bench test every cage to look at what the wheels are doing when it's actually under power, because sometimes that shaft will move, you know, to wherever that, uh, whatever the magnets in the motor pull it to a certain spot and that's where it stays. So I'll adjust everything so that when it's under power, everything's lined up because you know, these are, if they're not lined up, they will start to rip heads off real fast. That is so. something I don't know that I've ever heard anybody in this hobby talk about was making sure they're aligned while the flywheels are moving specifically yeah, because of that. Super, it's super important. And I've never heard anyone mention that either, but wow. just because you push it down on your shaft when you're looking at it doesn't mean that when you put it in your blaster and put power to it, they're still going to be aligned because they, some motors will shift a little bit. I've noticed, and I've Merlin, I've seen Merlin's. that with like Krakens and Fang revamps and everything. They all they all move a little bit. My mind is blown right now. I can't <laughs> believe nobody has ever talked about that. Well, it's um, the little yeah. things you notice when you do this. When I'm you know I've assembled at this point hundreds of cages now, so I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. You learn a little bit every day, but yeah. it all it's going towards making a better product. And you know, it, back to what Alex was saying about your cage being printed PETG, and you said you did that for higher. Um, um, you know, thermal resistance. Uh, as I'm looking at my my pegboard of all my like active use blasters that are all printed in ABS, I you know I appreciate that, and I know yeah. what a beast PETG can be. You know, because it's the you know basically the one filament you can do without an enclosure that gives you that heat resistance, but it's gloopy and stringy, and you really got to have it perfectly dialed in to have it done properly. And as Alex's you know, saying your cage print quality is gorgeous. So, yeah, I appreciate it. I, I realized a lot of things with the pet G, you know, I've got, I've got the dehydrator now so I can dry out my filament. because <laughs> yep. I couldn't get it to stop oozing out. And I was like, what is this? Why is it doing this? And yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, kind of a difficult filament to work with, but I haven't worked with many, but it's a heck of a lot harder than PLA, that's for sure. Well, and props to you for sticking with it rather than just saying screw it and going back to PLA, because I think a lot, a lot of people would have, <laughs> I think a lot of people would have done that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sitting here too. A lot of people are. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate the compliments. I'm sitting here looking at a PLA uh, cage that I printed earlier that I just kind of have up on my shelf, and it's like Oh, it's it's like super gorgeous, but <laughs> doesn't have the you know qualities that I needed. That's all. Yeah. All right. So um, I, I think my last question. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, no, can, go ahead, Adam. Let, um. Well, one, I'll I'll ask one question, then I'll let Tim ask his, and we'll finish up with one of my last ones. Um. So what about? Oh, so what filament do you use? Because uh, we all we I, all print. So I actually use strictly Hatchbox. Um. I tried a couple different ones, and I just went back to Hatchbox. I think nice. the quality there, um, the availability on Amazon is key because um, I'm ordering quite a bit of it now. Um, but yeah, I, I tried out a couple different ones, including some expensive ones, and I honestly couldn't really tell a huge difference. And the, the print ease with the Hatchbox just seemed, uh, at least with the settings I had, because I wasn't trying to change the settings with every different filament because it just becomes a real nuisance. I've just stuck with Hatchbox. Seems to work for me. It's it's okay. a staple. I mean, they've been there for 
you know, a long time. Yeah, I haven't. Um, you know, I've read reviews of people getting bad spools or, or stuff or the winding. It's not being wound right, but I've not had a problem yet. Knock on wood. So my my last question was, where where did the name Banshee, well, well, where did the name Band Blasters come from? And then, and I assume you guys settled on Banshee because of the sound? Um, I'll let you take the Band Blasters name. Alex. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so uh, it was sort of, uh, we were in the office and we just kind of kept bouncing names back and forth. Um, and we landed on Band Blasters. Um, and we've definitely gotten a lot of huff <laughs> for the name. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been why Kickstarter didn't let us do it. Yeah, it was sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, but it it was it was sort of a combination of things, uh, and I think it works for us now for a couple reasons. Um, it's got good SEO potential. Firstly, um, you know, it's just it's very searchable, uh, and the name is you know kind of easy to remember. Um, and so for us, it's it's sort of representative of more of a store, like the storefront. And then Banshee Cages uh, represents, you know, our our selection of different cages uh, for the MK3. Um, and Banshee was kind of, uh, I think Banshee, Adam, I think that was your name, wasn't it? Yeah, that was my name. Uh, my wife and I were just kind of coming up with names. And I, I you know, like we did with the... the the company name i just sent alex a list of uh names and a text message and he was just kind of like i like banshee and i was like all right let's just that's it and um, i'm a i'm a huge D nerd so <laughs> banshee i mean there was just there are so many connections for me i was like it's got to be banshee <laughs> nice yeah and then and, and like you know yeah i mean you're correct too like the sound i was like i mean this is perfect for this and uh you know the artwork that you could do with it oh yeah the uh, graphic possibilities yeah. Yeah. We just, we were just like, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So what was the, uh, what was the runner up name for the, for the company? Oh gosh. Oh God. Can you go that far back in your text messages? <laughs> um, that's all, that's all right. I was just, I was just curious. Uh, badass blasters. I like that. Oh uh, yeah. What's that one? That was big, big boy, big boy blasters. I think. Oh yeah, big boy. Our logo is like this kid, uh, you know, shooting darts. Yeah, and we were like, "What about big boy?" Like big. <laughs> Could be holding up a a blaster instead of a hamburger. <laughs> That's uh, lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think. I'm trying, to, trying to look through my text right now to see if. Uh, okay. You have to go so far back. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm running a search. That's another thing. Like, I don't even know when did we actually start. When did I start development on the actual like prototype blaster? I mean, that was probably two years ago. Been doing this for a while now. All right, so I got I got some names for the cage. All right, Uh, Dark Horse was one. Uh, Then and then it it moved into the Band Blasters Banshee, and then we were just like, oh yeah, this is it. That was that was a pretty quick decision. It's a good name. The cage name. Uh, it's a it's a really good name. Thank you. Then uh, <laughs> it was funny last week. I got my mountain bike out for the first time this summer, and my wife looks at it and she goes, "You know your mountain bike's called the Banshee, right?" <laughs> and I was like, oh my, "Oh my god, I totally forgot about that." But it's uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Let's see. 
Well, luckily that's a different that's a different category, so we're safe there. On yeah, the, the trademark from. Uh, oh man, yeah. Sorry, I don't. I I couldn't find the list. Oh, that's all right. I, interesting, just hearing what you know the process you guys went through. I mean, it was it was sort of fun just because we we sit our well when when we when we started this like we sat our desks are almost uh, or they're kitty corner I suppose is the term for that right where it's yeah. like uh I would just kind of swivel in my chair and like Adam's right there you know so we just had a ton of fun just bouncing ideas back and forth you know being like well what if we did this what if we did that um you know it was you know a lot of fun yeah it's been a wild ride yeah but like i said it's like at least with the cages now I'm, it's kind of a blessing that the whole kickstarter didn't work out because the cages have gotten a lot better since since that was uh yeah since that, that, right there. that is definitely one of the downsides with injection molding is that you can't iterate i mean you can but it's like well now you're sort of set in literal stone you know uh right you know uh you'd be able to cut away material. So if we wanted to like, I guess if we wanted to, for example, fill in the concavity of the thing a little bit of the, of the, of the flywheel, you could do something like that. But, you know, reducing the material means you'd have to add material to the mold, which isn't really something that's done. You know, you just sort of make a new mold, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about closing up the whole size of the, where the darts uh, go into the cage because the alignment of the dart going through the wheels is super important too. But, you know, I don't know what kind of pushers everyone has out there, and I don't know where their mags are going to sit, so I don't want to have people jamming their darts up against the cage. So, I don't know, it's kind of one of those things I've tossed around changing, but, yeah, it's a good point, Alex. I can change things on the fly if I need to. Yeah, it, it definitely makes it so it's like, you know, as we, you know, test things and improve them, it's, you know, immediate to production versus you know having to go through like a whole nother <laughs> 70k well in this case it would be it would be cheaper because you know it's a lot smaller um than the uh than like a shell you know so it would probably be more around the range of like 10k i guess that yeah so it's just uh, seeing like the quick iteration is uh really really nice definitely that makes a lot of sense and it's cool to hear that side of things because you know a lot of us are hobby designers like myself and adam both create things and have our little shops um adam's actually an engineer i'm not so he's more into this than i am but you know i don't think about these things in in my creation process because i don't have this background so it's really really cool to me to hear you guys talk about your process and the iterations and what it would take to do injection molding and it's been really cool to hear all this. So thank you guys for that. Yeah. Uh, welcome. When actually when we started, well, when Adam was working on like the first iteration of the cage, you know, it was designing it for injection molding. Right. And usually, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Adam, but in the, in this case, uh, I think it's usually done in three parts and then, the mold. yeah. Yeah. But you managed to kind of finagle it into a two part mechanism. Yeah, our first cages were, uh, like, we've got the enclosed, you know, like the, the dart guide, and then, uh, yeah, it was actually a two-piece cage, which would have been different than anything else out there, but it was strictly so we could injection mold the cage uh, the way that I wanted to without having to make 
a super expensive mold. You might have seen that on the uh, the review or the the review that Drac did for us on the prototype that shows the original cage with the two part two part cage. Huh. Gotcha. And now that we're three D printing, it's like, well, <laughs> we can do it all in one part. Yeah, the, the only tricky part is with the three D printing is printing that circle and getting the top of it to not get all ugly on you. Yeah. Which that took a lot of figuring out. Okay, I got one more thing to bug you guys about. Um <laughs> and that is I'm interested so we talked a lot about flywheels and flywheel geometry and that development process, but I am interested in the motor side of it because uh, Flywheel of Worlds Merlin motor was like heralded in as like the most extreme and the highest rhythms and all this other stuff. And then, I mean, I've known probably at least three people that have burned motors out, um, maybe because they weren't using them within their design envelope or something. Uh, I've noticed a couple of mine have kind of a lot of uh, a lot of vertical play. Um, so it's like when you mentioned, oh yeah, well. Um, the motors need to be aligned when you spin them up. Like the flywheel placement needs to be aligned when you spin them up. Makes a lot of right. sense, but it still seems. So my question is, um, how did you choose a motor? Um, like what sort of? I imagine it's a neo motor with dual ball bearings. Um, yeah. So how did you choose a motor? And then after, I guess you maybe got samples in. Um, or got a couple of different motors and then you're like, all right, this is good enough. And you know, what did you benchmark and stuff like that? Because it's like, I don't know that, that people don't talk about that process that much within the hobby. And I think uh, it sounds yeah, so, like it's the combination of the two that is really special. Yeah. So, I mean, when I started, I was using uh Kraken motors like exclusively. Then I switched to Fang revamps. And then um, I was like, all right, so these run at, I don't know, whatever they are, 38,000 RPMs or 37 or something like that. Um, what I did was I took a power supply and my tachometer and basically um, overvolted um, Kraken motors to find the peak RPM to where the darts were going the fastest before they would start to slow down again. Because if you go too fast, you get a lot of dart slippage and you're not grabbing the dart and flinging it through your, you know, kind of like peeling out on the dart. So it, it actually starts to slow the dart down. So once I did that, you know, I, I zeroed in that RPM, which was right around 45,000 RPMs. And so that's how I decided on a 42,000 RPM at 11.1 volts. Cause when you have a fully charged LiPo, it's more around 12. So that'll put you up at 45,000 RPMs. And uh, I had the specs that I wanted and found a good motor company and, uh, yeah, got some samples and everything seemed to check out. And I don't know if you guys follow us on Facebook, but I was just asking a question before I ordered more motors. And I was like, hey, guys, do you think we need more torque? Just, you know, give me your thoughts. Um, and everyone was kind of like, no, I think they're I think they're kind of perfect right where they are because they don't have the torque that Krakens have and Fang revamps have. But um, they've got a fast spin up. And, um, you know, without all that torque, you're, you're saving, you're not drawing as much current, so you're saving battery life. Um, so I don't know, so far everyone's kind of told me just to leave them the way they are, even though I am inclined to maybe ask them to put a little bit more torque in it. But that was kind of my process for picking out the, the RPM and, and the motor. And yeah, like you said, the, uh, neodymium magnets and dual ball bearings, you know, I wanted it to be the best components in the motor possible. And, uh, that's, that's how I that's how I landed on what we got now, and um, if we do do a dual stage, 
probably have to do the same thing and figure out what RPM would be optimal for the, the second stage because I have Merlins in mind right now, but everyone's telling me that they're gonna they're gonna burn up. So <laughs> but I don't know if I need to go I don't know if it needs to go seventy thousand. It might it might be, you know, sixty thousand. I don't I don't know. So I'll have to do that test here pretty soon. Gotcha. And um so hopefully that answers your questions. Yeah. So a a little follow up. Um, so I wonder if FTW really tested the balls out of their Merlin motors, um, because, because their slogan was like, oh, they're like magic. Well, they're like magic smoke sometimes too, especially if you stall them. Um, so my next question, I swear this is it, um, is durability (laughs) testing. So we've got a lot of prolific designers in the community that produce some really great stuff, but I don't think they understand, um, how to test durability um so they'll throw together uh, like a prototype or two and then like the next day the files are on etsy or something um and then lo and behold folks have issues with printing and you know all sorts of other things so um did you guys do a lot of durability testing and did you burn up some motors like on purpose to see how long you could stall them for you know just if you gave somebody a bland bat, a band blaster strife and they just started like happy fingering the darts in there. I, um, well, um, yeah, I have not burned up one of these motors yet. That's not to say that you can't, but I've also learned a lot during all of this. Um, you know, I burned up a, a set of cracking motors real quick when I didn't realize that I had a dart jammed or wedged in between the two wheels and kept pulling the trigger. I was like, what the hell is going on? And then realized the smoke was coming out of the blaster. But, um, I I have the set in my the prototype the band blasters prototype and I've shot you know I don't know I've shot the crap out of it and I've not had any problems it's the same same motors that have been in there um for a long time now and then I've got like the first customer that we had that guy has done extensive testing and he keeps in contact with me on Facebook and uh, I'll check in with him every once in a while and be like how's it going he's still still holding up and I mean, I know he beats the crap out of it, and he's like, "Yeah, it's still good." So um, it was, it was. I don't know. For me, it was just I, I had some test motors that they sent me. I shot them a lot and never ran into a problem. So I was like, "Well, I guess this is good. I guess we're good to go." Send me a bunch of them. I mean, uh, just like the amount of feedback that we've been receiving from the community, um, you know, where if anybody sort of runs into an issue or whatever, you know, we we help them with it. Um, but there's it's it's just been it's been great (laughs) yeah yeah the amount amount that people are willing to talk to us you know about the product is it's not something that we're really used to uh yeah uh, we make a toy and then you know we, we sell the toy that's kind of it uh and you know to be able to get the feedback from people um you know that are using our stuff it's just been hugely helpful yeah, the community has been great. My wife laughs at me now and gets irritated a lot of times because I I talk to a lot of these customers on Facebook and she's like, "Oh, are you talking to your pocket friends again?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, because you know someone someone had a question and and I'm trying to help them out. You know, I've had phone calls with people that are like, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to run this off a nine volt battery and it's not moving." well i think they were doing it to like test the direction of the motors and i'm like hey buddy just go for it like <laughs> put a lipo on it if you burn something up i'll send you another cage but like i'm sure your problem is the nine volt battery <laughs> so i'm doing my best to help everyone out and uh 
make sure everyone's happy, which so far everyone has been satisfied and, and very happy. So I'm trying to keep it that way. And, uh, you know, that was another kind of Alex and I have been debating selling these as like a kit. I'm like, well, there's just so many things that are out of my hands if I sell it as a kit and people don't assemble things to the standard that I do, you know, we're going to start to get bad reviews and yeah, that is the. That. I've just I've just put too much damn time into it. That is the exact mentality that Project FDL had with the basic. You know, Jesse just yeah. wanted to build a really nice blaster. Yeah, yeah. All right, I did think of one more question, and I know this is, this will be on our Alex's mind too. When are we going to see band blasters patches? I already ordered them. Ah, I already ordered them. Sweet. Boom. Cool. I think we've got 500 coming, so we'll send you guys some. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, are you guys going to end war? Um, I probably I've got a wife and three boys under the age of five, so I'm probably not going anywhere. <laughs> Although uh, I would like to. I do hope to go. I hope. Well, we would love to see you there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm from you know I grew up in Michigan, so uh, I'll actually be there in two weeks, but it's just a very short visit. Um, but. Hopefully sometime when I make a trip back there can get together. I'd like to meet you guys in person. That'd be fun. Hit us up. We'll buy you a beer. Absolutely. Maybe no, sorry. too. I, I like I like beer. You should you should look to be in Michigan the weekend of June twenty fifth. Oh yeah, yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Just yeah. just saying June twenty fifth. <laughs> yeah, we we have an event that weekend or that Do day. You? Yeah. Okay. Uh in the morning. Um morning and maybe. Yeah, actually that's more. that's true. Um morning and, and maybe more. But yeah, if you're in town the weekend of June 25th, uh, you know we'd love to see you at our event. Yeah, you know, if you will want that to be on a you. Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I will. I'll keep that in mind. I no guarantees, but that does sound like fun. And that, I, like I said, I'm kind of like a tattoo artist with no tattoos. I've never been to a nerfing event or even played competitive nerf. So it, it would be it'd be cool to see. Yeah, we'd love to have you. You know, our, the okay. event in the morning is HVZ, which. Uh, you know, that that's a, a whole nother beast and aspect of the hobby too. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll talk to you guys more about that later. Yeah. Definitely. People post it on, you know, the ins and outs. Yeah. Well, um, should we move on to shout outs? That's always our last section of the, the episode. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do it. What, what do you got? Someone else go first. Um, I will shout out, um, uh, I was going to say band blasters, but that's, that's too much <laughs> cheese. We just got through just singing their praises for like a whole episode. So I'm going to go, I'm going to shout out Worker um, for the new Nightingale, which seems to be an absolutely excellent injection molded pistol secondary or primary even uh, HVZ spec FPS, uh, apparently loud as hell because, uh, you know, injection molded cases and tiny little flywheels and ripping motors, um, resonance and such. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're like 60 bucks and 80 for the Neo motor version. Really? So like 130 FPS. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I was going to actually have that be my shout out. Thanks, Adam. Because <laughs> I just ordered one last night when, you know, I shouldn't be online buying things. <laughs> hey, at least you didn't order the the knockoff of the Chinese company's blaster. Or the Taiwan, I forget. Mm. What do I need? To, I need to think of a shout out. Well, my shout out is going to be to you because I now have a, uh, a rival uh, Saturn as well as a new Detroit Dartworks patch. You're welcome. <laughs> Actually, I got I got one really quick. Go for it. Uh, this uh, this uh, 
engineer Gemini. Uh, they made this, uh, and you guys are probably already all aware of it, the Mayfly, uh, the Maverick uh, oh, convert. Oh, yes. I'm looking at one right now. Oh, my gosh. I've been, so I've been messing around with that cat, and, uh, you know, uh, I was able to stick one of our uh, cages in there. And it's 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 just such a wonderful kit. I mean, you know, it, it's like your childhood. <laughs> I, I just uh, I just wanted to give that quick shout out. Yeah, no, it's a it's a brilliant design. Like our our local club, the Suburban Detroit Nerf Club, the logo is the Detroit skyline on top of a Maverick. So when we saw something that uh, made the Maverick ag- actually usable in you know the modern meta of the hobby, that was like you know, brilliant. And the fact that, you know, the, the recommended battery is still sold out on out of darts, you know, I think speaks to the fact that people love that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a ton of fun. Yeah. I can't wait to get mine finished. I've hunted down a gear up Maverick uh, variant. So it's a nice rare shell and in my colors and it's going to look sweet. And Alex has two of them. One, one with the honk shot and one, uh, one's your, the, the, dark blue one. Oh, that's when you have a honk shot on, right? Uh, no, the honk shot's on a wide out version. Uh, and then the dark blue one was the first one I made. Yeah, I made the, uh, well, I don't know if it was a mistake, but I, I went for the clear shell and it turns out that, there, uh, there, there's a lot of shell cutting required with the, with the clear shell oh, more, yeah. than, more than I had anticipated. Um, but you know, still totally possible. I think it looks super cool. Uh, you know, so, but, you know, be forewarned. All right. I got my shout out now. I thought of it. Uh, mine's going to be hearkening back to the beginning of the episode. A shout out to our good friend, uh, Adarin, uh, Will Stuckey, who is the outgoing head of the Boiler League of Tag to do. I believe he's the outgoing president. Yes. Um, for, for putting on a great little event and just being an awesome person. I've, I'd missed seeing him for a while. So, being able to hang out with him for a little bit was awesome. So shout out to him for a great boiler dome. And I look forward to next year's. And hopefully we'll all be there. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be there again. I mean, it's just a gorgeous campus and it's perfect for, for nerf battles. It's, it's great. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to make it next year. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the episode. So, uh, for you listeners at home, thanks for joining in and, uh, uh, hearing, uh, all about, uh, you know, band blasters and, and uh, you know, where they came from and where they're going. And uh, we'll catch you on another episode. Bye. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was our pleasure. Was Hashtag Christo. Yeah. Hashtag Christo. <laughs>